Welcome, everybody, to episode 16 of the Untitled Themed Entertainment Design Show podcast. Patrick, it was a great show. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've actually known Brian for a long time out in the industry um, since I first moved here. He was always at all the TEA events and all that. And, yeah, he, w- he was able to share a story. We nerded out, all of us nerded out together about the brand new attraction, Icebreaker, here at SeaWorld Orlando. It packed a punch. Forward launch, backward launch, forward launch again. The steepest drop in Orlando. And we had a little chat about it. Yeah, it was great. We get uh, into some pretty granular engineering stuff, which is it's a lot of fun and not something you'll hear anywhere else. <laughs> no. Well, we hope you all enjoy the show and stay tuned for more. Hey, Patrick, how are you today? Hey, Andy, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day here in Orlando. You cannot beat the weather. 78, sunny, breezy. It's fantastic. I think it's exactly the same here. It is sunny and breezy, and I think it's I think it's 78 degrees. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I'm gonna check. It is what, uh, it is so, 78 uh, degrees. Okay, here, let me, let me pull up my dark what, what program is that? <laughs> Uh, weather Underground. Do you have We're that app that tells you? Oh, look at this. 78 degrees. Uh, wow. There it is. Perfect. Uh, Andy, good to see you. It's uh, March. Um, a great a little announcement. We're going to be having our uh, celebration of Women's History Month coming up next week. Stay mm-hmm. tuned to that. Make sure you like, subscribe, sign up to our email list at themedexperiencetv.com. Uh, we got a great show. We're going to be talking with uh, our friends at SeaWorld Orlando because they opened up a new roller coaster very recently. Have you heard about this roller coaster, Andy? I have heard about this roller coaster. We've had several meetings about it. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> I'm very excited to learn more about it and certainly uh, very excited to eventually get on it uh, either in November or uh, or before. Yeah, fair enough. But of course, we do like to touch on the news a little bit ahead of time, so... Um, what what parks are closed and where and why? <laughs> well, uh, just uh, today, where you know, yesterday uh, for us in China, uh, Shanghai Disneyland closed indefinitely starting today. Uh, from the uh, management's due to the current pandemic situation, Shanghai Disneyland Resort, including Shanghai Disneyland, Disney Town, Disney Town, and Wishing Star Park, will temporarily be closed from Monday, March twenty first. So yeah, here we go again. Yeah, buckle up. <laughs> well, China at least. China has a zero tolerance policy for COVID, whereas the rest of the world is like, eh. Yeah, cases are pretty pretty low here in Orlando. Actually, very, very low, which is good. They're very low here in Los Angeles, too. It's, we're, you know, um, I went into a restaurant without a mask yesterday. It was very exciting. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, did you feel weird? Like, you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I can't believe it. I honestly, I didn't know. It was fine. You know, yeah. I'm triple vaxxed and, like, I've had COVID, so probably twice. So, uh, whatever. You did get it, didn't you? I'm super but, powered. <laughs> well, you know, why don't, Andy, then why don't we just jump right into our discussion? It's not every, um, you know, 
every moment that you have a brand new roller coaster opening it up. is it is not orlando so let's um bring out a brian and a rob from our green room hello good evening Hi guys welcome gentlemen thanks, thanks for, for coming us. on the show Brian, you, would you be able to share us what your middle, your last name is there? Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> Andrelzik. Andrelzik. That was my guess. Brian, a works just fine. It'll be a very good like <laughs> wordle starting word. Your last name there. You got every consonant, every vowel, and now <laughs> it's true. Just knock them all out. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Um, we're really excited to have have you both on. Um, and just to get things started, would love to get to know you know your history with SeaWorld. Um, you know, how did you begin your careers in the industry? What brought you to SeaWorld? All that kind of stuff. Why don't we go to Rob first? Yeah, sure. No, th thanks again for having us. It's it's a exciting time here at SeaWorld and, you know, happy to talk about Icebreaker. But, but I've been with the company for 22 years. Um, it was a summer job for me in 2000. I started at Busch Gardens Williamsburg in Virginia. And um, it was nothing more than a summer job. And it turned into a career. Um, so I went to James Madison University in, in Virginia, pursuing a degree tied to the field in hospitality tourism management. Um, and I've held a couple of roles in the company. I've worked at Williamsburg, um, SeaWorld San Diego. I was director of operations out there for seven years. I was director of operations at Busch Gardens Williamsburg again, and then joined the Orlando team in the summer of 2019. Um, as vice president of operations. So it's been a fun career. I've seen um, lots of changes in the industry, lots of changes with our company. And um, I'm very excited. Uh, I think I'm more excited now about the future for our company than I ever have been. So it's, it's, a, it's a great time and, and happy to talk about how we're doing at SeaWorld. Cool, thanks Rob. And then over to Brian. I have a similar um, start, I, I suppose. I was uh, going to Georgia Tech for uh, my architecture degree, and I uh, was looking for some summer jobs. Always wanted to work uh, in the theme park industry because I like theme parks, roller coasters, all that sort of thing. So um, I came down to SeaWorld, and I was a photography intern. And every day as I walked into work, I passed the design engineering office, and one day I just went and said hi. And one thing led to another, and here we are. Uh, multiple years later that was 2009 uh now we're here and uh i've been with the design and engineering department for um over 10 years now just working on uh, new projects and uh, you know big and small everything from sidewalks to roller coasters so it's a kind of nice variety uh something different every day which is one of those kind of fun uh fun things i suppose um uh, but it's just uh i enjoy you know, seeing something new every time. And like Rob said, you know, this is an exciting time for our company. We've got a lot of just really interesting things going on and uh, it's uh, fun to be a part of it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I think, you know, I'm excited to see uh, what happens with SeaWorld uh, all over the world as well. I know, you know, you've got uh, SeaWorld Abu Dhabi opening up next year, I think, which is very exciting. Yeah, next year it opens as our first uh, international park. It's our first park without killer whales, mm -hmm. um, and and the team is is actively working towards it. Our, our vice president of zoological operations is out there right now, providing his expertise. So it's it's a it's a team effort, and it's going to be what I have not seen it myself, but everyone that has has been absolutely blown away. It, it's going to be a game changer. Is is that Scott or somebody else you're talking about? Uh, J.P. Peterson, uh, John oh, Peterson, yeah. Zoo. yeah, so he's out there helping out right now. Okay, great. Cool. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that project's been in the works for quite a while. It's awesome to see it come to fruition, um, which is fantastic. Andy, do you want to take it away with our next question? Yeah, um, I you know I think let's just dive dive into uh, you know like this the icebreaker coaster. Like I I don't know a lot about it. Um, you know, like love to learn more about you know how the concept came about of icebreaker and you know how the ride type and the coaster type um sort of played into that and like which came first you know the coaster type or the concept or the concept or the coaster type so we we started this uh, a while ago now of course with uh with covid happening and everything we had a bit of a pause kind of in the middle but you know if we roll back the clock to 2018 2019 time frame that's when we were really starting to have the conversations about what's next for our our park as far as roller coasters go and we we've got a really great portfolio of coasters in our park from you know mako tallest and fastest and uh you know manta and kraken and uh, what we were really missing was a launch coaster. So uh, from the very uh, outset, we were looking at a launch coaster and not just, you know, a standard launch coaster. We wanted something that had this forwards and backwards momentum. Um, and uh, really from the kind of very nexus of the project, we were kind of thinking in that mindset. So we began there and then tried to find a place for it within the park. And uh, we ended up in a really kind of unique location in our uh, Arctic area next to Wild Arctic in the Altitude Burger restaurant. Um, really kind of working to put that uh, that layout together uh, back and forth with our, uh, our architects and engineer partners and with the park team. Uh, Rob and I worked together to really understand kind of guest flow and um, you know, what the ride's going to be, how it fits in the space, and just developing that from, uh, you know, paper plan all the way up to uh, the, the final ride here, which uh, we just opened. Awesome. I mean, and uh, do we, ha we have a uh, video package to show, don't we? That we uh, maybe we can show that now? Oh, that looks like a lot of fun. Well, and it's I a great ride. Say, yeah, I must say that just in general, you know, you know, SeaWorld's, with the exception of the uh, the coaster in the Sesame Street area, um, with that little derby, you guys have some really crazy coasters, right? Action packed and all that, and you know it was it was it's awesome to see an attraction that you know it's a like it doesn't have the the eight inversions and all that, and it's you know you're not flipped up to upside down or backwards or you know completely going out of your mind. It looks like a very nice transitional coaster that um, you know all members of the family might be able to enjoy. Um, which is really, really great. You know, and I, I got to ask, you know, so how was the experience, you know, partnering with the ride manufacturer? If you want to name them, great. If you don't, no big deal. I'm not sure that's public. Um, but working with them and kind of developing this attraction with your requirements of like with the thrill level and all that. Absolutely. Well, we work with Premier Rides on uh, this coaster, and we have a number of uh, their rides within our system. Uh, this is a, a custom design for us. It fits in a really, really tight space in the park, which was one of the kind of design and construction challenges for sure. Um, but it's always a collaborative effort when you work with any manufacturer, and it, it involves a lot of folks, you know, from uh, the park team, which is uh, a number of folks here, and not just you know, design engineering, but operations and safety and maintenance and merchandise. And, you know, everybody has a part uh, to play in this and involving the ride manufacturer, you know, very early on, we're going back and forth saying, okay, what can fit into this site? What can we kind of squeeze into this area? We know we want a certain track length. We know we want a certain level of kind of dynamic motion. We want certain elements. We wanted our launch. We wanted to have not just one launch, but four launches, you know, two backwards, two forwards. We wanted to have some pretty unique elements. Like we've got the steepest beyond vertical drop in Florida. 
Uh, so that's our backwards uh, spike that's uh, 93 feet tall and tilted at 100 degrees. So uh, from the very outset, you know, we're working on all these different, you know, elements and trying to fit them into the overall space and then you know, bring our architect and our engineering partners in into the uh, fold. Then we end up with, um, you know, working around existing utilities or working around, uh, you know, buildings and pathways and things like that. We're trying to snake a lot of things together into a very tight spot. So, um, you know, you got to really be flexible and be um, collaborative as you put it all together to really, you know, get to where we are today. And if I could add, you know, to, to, to Brian's point, you know, it's when we work on these coasters years out and, you know, we talk to our past members and our guests and, and we were missing a launch coaster. Uh, it's a great way, excuse me, to uh, to up the ante, to up the thrill and it uh, without having a ton of space. So it's a very compact site. Lots of energy on this side of the park now, as you know, we opened Mako and then we went to um, Infinity Falls and then Sesame Street land, and then we hit um, Icebreakers. There's a lot of energy here and it's a tight footprint, but when we say it's a, you know, it's great, it could be a starting coaster, you know, for someone who, Manta is, is, you know, can be very scary for a small child. Heck, it's scary for me some days. Um, and you have Mako and Kraken. This is a really great entry coaster, but I always say it packs a punch. Um, yeah. So your expectations are low, you know, because it doesn't have the eight inversions, like you said, Patrick. It's, it's a uh, low to the ground, not the tallest, not the fastest. Um, but when you get on there, even the diehard coaster enthusiasts will be very impressed. It's very smooth. It's very repeatable. Um, it, it, it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that second rollback. You get almost to the top of that top yeah. hat, and then you go back a moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and every seat's different, right? I'm always – I prefer riding in the front uh, mm -hmm. of coasters, but the back, really, you get those Gs. You get the the forces as you get pulled. You got come out of your seat. Yeah, a little bit on that beyond vertical spike, and then you go over the top hat and you get a little bit over the top hat. So wherever <laughs> you're sitting is a different experience. I'm a front guy, um, but but back row on this is a totally different experience than the front. That's where I'll be sitting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, I I can't wait to ride it. Hopefully, uh, certainly November for IAPA, but maybe before then we'll see. That's awesome. Yeah, so like sure. Yeah. So like, the, like, how was it working with Premier? I mean, how, what was the, you know, from a marketing slash engineering standpoint, like, you know, what, like, do you just call it Premier and be like, get me a launch coaster. <laughs> well, they are one of the best in the business as far as launch coasters go. Um, they're right here in the States. So uh, they actually have an office uh, here in Florida now as well. So it was, uh, you know, good to be able to go back to them, especially having, um, uh, already had uh, several launch coasters from Premier in our system so we kind of know the know the tech we know how to work with it and uh, that's a key thing to be comfortable with what you're putting in especially you know this being our first launch coaster we want to have some familiarity with everything um, certainly the the site conditions prove to be especially challenging with uh, this one and it's just the tightness of the site uh, you know we're a, uh, a bit of a landlocked park so we're trying to get creative now in uh, how we can put in uh, our new new rides and attractions. So uh, for one of those things like Rob mentioned is being able to reuse that launch track. So we can get, you know, four different launch motions in uh, one short section of track. And then uh, we go not only in front of house, but also back of house and, 
really snaking it between buildings and um, you know around existing utilities and kind of working through that. So uh, when we first you know reach out to ride manufacturer, we'll provide a general site and also kind of utility conflicts and things to avoid. And this was a this is a pretty messy drawing that I gave to Premier at, at the beginning to say, okay, avoid all these things and. It's tough for one, but it also makes for really creative, you know, layouts and uh, just kind of fun, um, fun challenges for sure. Uh, kind of a fun little fact about just how tight in uh, this uh, this coaster is. Our exit ramp that goes kind of down and winds underneath the launch track and underneath the brake run. We have about six inches of clearance on either side of that because <laughs> there's just so much track that's crammed into this one little space. So did you do you just give them the site plan or and or do you do like the layout and then they handle the engineering or did they do the layout? So it goes back and forth. So they provided some sample layouts about what they could do with the swing launch coaster. Um, and, you know, we looked at a couple of different locations around the park. And then from that, you know, I had drawn up a. Uh, location here uh, where it was eventually settled on and uh, kind of drew out an example layout that could fit in the space kind of based on their original document they provided. And then from there, it just goes back and forth and we look at it and say, okay, well, we need to make these adjustments from utility conflicts or uh, just spatial configuration or then just things for fun. So we added in the uh, airtime hills that you saw on either side of the launch track, which uh, honestly is one of my favorite parts because with the four launches, each of those hills gets a little stronger every single time. So by the fourth launch, you get this really kind of incredible lift out of your seat that you was kind of just, um, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of floater in the very beginning, but now it's just really strong on that fourth launch. Uh, or things like you know, taking our uh, vertical spike there and making it beyond vertical. So, you know, maybe make those little adjustments both for um, function and for, for fun. Awesome. That's great. Well, and, so, you know, with, with uh, SeaWorld, you know, there's always animal conservation at play in your experience. Very important to uh, SeaWorld. And we, we know um, it's a huge part of the to, of your organization's mission. Um, you know, how does it how did the icebreaker theme incorporate um, that theming? And, you know, how does it uh, branch together with uh, conservation? Yeah, no, I, I could take that, you know, so like we said, it, it's in the wild Arctic area of the park, right? So um, what we really like to say, you know, at SeaWorld, we're the only place where you can ride a thrilling coaster like Icebreaker, step off and then get up close and personal with a beluga whale, a harbor seal or a walrus because it's right next door. So Icebreaker, the theme being wild Arctic and you're going through the ice fits perfectly Um with the overall area where the ride was was uh, designed but you know we say see it here save it there right yeah you, you get a new appreciation for these animals when you when you get up close to them and, and just see how magnificent they are i mean I, i'm in awe when i walk the park all the time and getting up close to these animals is pretty awe-inspiring but you know for us th th there's no new habitat for this ride right if you go to manta uh, it's got one of the best aquariums you'll ever see. Um, so there isn't a animal aspect exactly tied to Icebreaker um, that was brand new. So we wanted to partner with someone. So we partnered with the Alaskan Sea Life Center, and, and they're the only rescue center in the state of Alaska. So um, for opening day, we had their president and CEO come out and speak about our partnership and how we help and work together, because it's not just the animals in our care, right? You know, SeaWorld, we've 
we've saved over 39,000 animals. You know, we're approaching 40,000 animals. And, and that's not possible without our guests coming and supporting us. And, and we wanted to support an organization that does so much good for animals up in Alaska and just fits perfectly. Wild Arctic, Icebreaker, Alaska Sea Life Center. Um, so it, it's a group that goes hand in hand. That's great. Yeah, I was going to ask if there were new, any new animal enclosures integrated into the attraction. But no, like you no, said, he- yeah, no, 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 not here uh, for this one. It, it was it was focused on on the uh, the coaster itself. But you know, over the years, you know, we've added a lot of rides and attractions at SeaWorld Orlando and all of our parks, right? So, like I said earlier, we did Infinity Falls, which if you like water rides, it's the best one out there. I'm biased, but it is just it annihilates you with water. Sesame Street Man <laughs> for the kids is perfect. Um, and Mako was before those two. So lots of rides. But this past year, um, we've done a lot at SeaWorld Orlando. You know, we redid our Dolphin Stadium, our Sea Lion Stadium, our Dolphin uh, Cove area, our Dolphin Nursery, our Shark Encounter um, that dates back to the 80s, right? So fun fact, Jaws 3 was filmed at SeaWorld Orlando. <laughs> and our the actual restaurant... Before it was the restaurant, that was the command center, the underbase command center in Jaws 3. So it was a little bit of a dated area. It really needed some more life. Um, and it is we, – we spent some money and time in there and really uh, enhanced the entire area. So while there's not an animal component that's brand new to Icebreaker, we've invested – heavily over the past 12 to 18 months and we will continue to do that because again you know this is where you get to see amazing animals not just ride rides you know we have right. a great portfolio of events attractions shows so there's a little bit of everyone for everyone um at SeaWorld. and like you said you can literally just step off into the beluga, beluga whale exhibit it's, it's and, and all the others ones and the, the penguins and everything yeah yeah i love, I love the penguins <laughs> me too me too <laughs> So, like, what would you say is the story of the attraction? Is there like a like a thematic kind of story to the the coaster, like Icebreaker? Is it like a an Icebreaker ship, or is it you know a, yeah, a, port, so a portmanteau? Th- th- there's not a a strong storyline to it, I should say. Right? It's um, it, it just it, it the name. You know, when we go through a naming process, so so we're looking at attractions in the future, and we start looking at names. What makes sense? Um, this, the name just really rings a bell. Um, you're breaking through the ice, you're launching, you're gaining speed, um, the tallest beyond vertical spike, and you're looking down the entrance. There's some rock work that looks like ice, um, but it just goes hand in hand with the entire area. And we had a restaurant there, um, called Mango Joe's, and that got a whole new facelift, um, to become Altitude Burger. Um, so it's all bright oranges and blues. It's a glacier bar, which is right across the pathway. So it's just the evolution of the area um, and ties perfectly again into Wild Arctic, which is, I think, one of the best exhibits in the park where you see these animals. But it's a it's a frozen area where there is a, a ship that got stuck. Um, that's the story of Wild Arctic and Icebreaker kind of ties ties hand in hand with that. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I don't think every coaster needs to have like a 20 page backstory. <laughs> I was sure. just curious. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, right? I think I think the ride speaks for itself, and it's just a really fun, repeatable ride. So on, on media day, I did I rode about 15 times, um, doing live TV hits. And the older I get, the less I can ride rides. Yeah. So being able to ride it 15 times, 
live on camera um, yeah. speaks for the ride, you know, repeatability of this attraction. So it, yeah. it, it, but again, it will exceed your expectations uh, for sure. Yeah, I, wanna, I like to call this uh, coaster almost unassuming in that it, it's not our biggest, not our fastest. I mean, it's 90 feet tall, 93 feet tall at most. Our top hat element's only 80 feet tall. But the ride packs a punch. Like, there's a lot of good airtime in there, and it's really strong airtime, too. It's one of those rides that I th- I've seen a lot of people, you know, listening to guest feedback as they're coming off of the ride. You see a lot of folks saying, wow, that was really more than I thought it was going to be. And uh, it was really intense, really fun. You know, it's it's good to see those sorts of reactions because I think we're going to surprise a lot of people. Oh, that's great. Kind of I, that piggybacks onto my next question or sets it up, which is, you know, it's been up for about a month. Um, you know, what's the reception you've been getting from guests? I, um, it, it, I think guests, I guess to Brian's point, again, it, it exceeds your expectations. So, so you're getting on this ride and it's not the fastest tallest. So you're kind of like, okay, let's, let's, let's hop on and, you get off like wow, that that's fun. It's fast. The, the, the it has more airtime maneuvers than Mako, and you know Mako last year was uh, voted the number one coaster in the United States, and it has more airtime than Mako, which is doesn't seem to make sense. You don't really think that's going to be the case, but it does. Um, so people come off like wow, that that is great, and they get back in line. Um, so it it really. I, again, it's just the easiest way to say is it, it will exceed your expectations and, and guests are loving it. It's been a great addition um, to, you know, our portfolio. You know, we have six coasters. You know, we are Orlando's coaster capital, we like to say now. Um, <laughs> and this really adds to that portfolio, missing that launch, um, missing that this just really not that the other rides are not repeatable. They certainly are, but they are more intense. Um, rides. I think we could all agree on that with Mako, Kraken, and Manta. And, and this is just a, a very uh, repeatable attraction. Yeah, Manta is one of my favorite coasters. I can't wait to ride this one. I love the airtime. Well, and this rounds out the portfolio so nicely. I mean, like Rob said, there's if you look at this kind of holistically of what kind of coasters can you have and what kind of seating positions or elements or things like that, we really check almost all the boxes. There's a lot to be had here from airtime and speed and inversions and uh you know laying down on floorless and launches i mean it, it, it's all there no that's really cool well we have a question uh i think before we move on from the from jeffrey yeah from yeah, the project management standpoint like I, I think jeffrey you know i, I also am interested just to get more granular on like how 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 does this happen <laughs> how do you go like i said you know we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier you call it premiering and like get us a coaster but like what's what's the sort of like day-to-day in terms of like you know before you actually start construction you know and even during construction and like um what's uh what's the process can you walk us through like that the development process Sure. So our our corporate engineering group will kind of start this ride out. So they're going to start talking with our park leadership team and really kind of understanding what the the demographic is that we want to fill. So we want this kind of uh, medium level thrill ride that's going to be that sort of middle ground, knowing early that we want want a launch coaster and things like that. So um, 
the corporate engineering team is going to contract with um, Premiere in this case. And then from that point on, we really start into the design process. And that's where, you know, Rob and I are going to be intimately involved in the very beginning to say, okay, we're looking at capacity. We're looking at, you know, how do you access the space? And I'm look, I'm bringing an architect at that point where we're going to talk about queue and we're going to talk about exit and handicap access. And what does the station look like? How do the, how do the gates set up? How do the rails um, or the, the queue rails and everything? Where do we put, you know, TV showing the safety spiels and all of those sorts of things. And then that all sort of happens in parallel. So we'll be working on the design for the coaster and we'll be working on the design for the site and kind of the everything else. Uh, we were able to reuse an existing structure for our queue area, which is great because now it's a nice covered queue, which is fantastic in the hot Florida sun, especially in the summer here as we're quickly approaching some heat. <clears throat> but um, as far as then the ride goes, you know, we're having weekly meetings in, um, uh, on on the computer with um, you know our team and the Premier team and uh, some of the the folks from Premier's team all the way from Germany even um, just to really kind of work through all of the details from like a ride control system and a an electronic system with the launch coaster you've got a very kind of heavy load from an electronic and a launch control standpoint so there's a pretty big building here that houses all of our launch control cabinets and has a pretty big load from an electrical standpoint so we need to work with our engineers to bring make sure we can bring in you know that that feed and uh, then there's a lot of programming on the back end to you know make the ride do what it does uh, and one of the things that's kind of overlooked sometimes if you recall from the pov you actually start with a horizontal track switch and that's that's pretty rare uh, to ride one of those usually those are what we use to take the train on and off of the track into the maintenance area but this one you ride uh, which uh, it allows us to run two trains at one time um, but it also just provides kind of a unique experience but the challenging thing with that from an engineering perspective is that we have a moving track switch this is going to move every minute uh, every you know, every minute of every operating day and it has uh, launch magnets on the uh, the track, so we need to run uh, cables that we can move back and forth, and we need to account for you know expansion, contraction. It can actually get cold sometimes in Florida, so we need to make sure that uh, you know this piece of equipment, which is going to grow and shrink as the uh, days get warmer or colder, um, can still operate you know consistently and reliably every single day. So there's a lot of different challenges that go into those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, that's what we get everybody together in the room to kind of work through those things. I'm very excited about you mentioning the horse riding the horizontal track switch. That's uh, I would have gone on and been like, oh, ooh, oh, <laughs> it's, really, it's fun. Yeah. And, and I think what, what gets me, I mean, is little things, you know, from like an engineering perspective. One of the things that surprised me very early on is how fast not only the track switch happens, but how fast it locks and launches. So you stop moving on your switch and within a couple of seconds, you're already hidden backwards. Uh, <laughs> so it's a pretty fun, um, you know, quick uh, turnaround for that sort of thing. That's awesome. And, and you know, um, of course I have to ask, what uh, is there, is there BGM that's uh, unique to the attraction in the queue? There is. Yeah. So, you know, and it, we also work with our entertainment team, hand-in-hand uh, hand with this and, you know, from a ride lighting perspective to the music. So there is some music um, in the realm and um, some iceberg crackling noises. Um, so it's, it's a pretty cool um, uh, BGM that you'll experience. And then I think, you know, you know, of course, Brian's the engineer, so he, he hit all those points in the head. The only thing I would add is 
changes late in the project get expensive, right? So when we start working on rides or anything, you know, a new restaurant, a new exhibit, a new show, um, doing them early and, and making sure you go through the plans uh, within detail, you know, the placement of where the phone is, where the switch is, um, all those little things um, make a big difference. And if you miss it early, which you're always going to miss something, if you miss something, it, it the cost goes up exponentially uh, once the facility is designed, right? So, so we're looking at just making sure everything's where we want it to be perfectly. But then from a capacity standpoint, you know, working through the programming uh, of how long it takes from hitting the button for the train to dispatch or where the operator controls are so they can respond quickly to, you know, every second counts when, you, when you're dealing with um, a ride and ride capacity. Um, so looking at all those small ins and outs, um, it, it, a lot of experience comes into play, you know, opening attractions and, and going through this experience over and over again helps, uh, but you're always going to miss something, but it is, it's, it's funny when you look at a drawing early stages and then later on in the process, it come to fruition. It, it, it's, it's an exciting feeling when you get to open and the guests get to experience it and all your hard work pays off. Well, I must, sure. must ask. So you kind of alluded to it, right? Being a little, very proactive in this experience so that you can shave off time. Um, so, you know, you, you both, Brian and Rob, you, you know, you have very lengthy careers. Um, were there any specific challenges from past projects or, uh, you know, um, attractions you were opening up or teams you were a part of that helped Icebreaker succeed thanks to that prior knowledge? You know, I, I can start at a high level and I, I think Brian can go into more of the details. You know, for, for me, I, I was involved with uh, Tempesto in Williamsburg, Electric Eel in San Diego, which are both skyrocket coasters by Premier. So I, I know the control system um, and and the layout and, and how the ride operates. Um, so, so I... Previous experience working on those coasters certainly assists as you as you design something. Um, but in terms of the ins and outs, I'll defer to Brian on on, on his thoughts there. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. Is you when you do more of these in a row, you take uh, you know all those learnings from the previous ones. So every project that we do, we have a lessons learned that you know we talk through afterwards and say, okay, what went right, what went wrong, what were the things that we missed. You know, we look through all those changes that were made. You know, Rob was alluding to the fact that you know last minute changes can be expensive. So let's look through all those changes and see what happened and why did it happen. Is it something that we can do from the outset in this case to you know, help us get to where we need to go and uh, certainly being the kind of fourth launch coaster that uh, premier had uh, done for us you know it's um, it, it really helps get uh, that whole system knowing where to put the ride cabinets you know how to run the electrical and the cabling to certain areas where the locations need to be of these things making sure we get all of the necessary uh, needs. We get you know the operator positions correct. We get the operator presence devices correct. So we can you know account for everybody there, uh, and just really taking away those sorts of learnings about how to uh, improve on what you did last time. You never want to make the same mistake twice, so you always want to take that away uh, from the last time and make sure that you um, you know you get all those things correct. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's just fun doing the, the, the little ins and outs. You know, I um, 
kind of my trademark. My team sometimes gets annoyed with it. But uh, my thing I always do when I open a ride is I it's a small thing, but I put the test seat into the queue line as opposed to being outside the queue line. Right. So if it's in the plaza for the ride, you uh, it becomes another seat for a guest. Right. And it's um, guests who need to try on the seat to make sure they can experience the ride. Um, they miss it. So. Uh, every coaster I open, I or try to retrofit, I, I, I place the test seat in the queue line. And it's a small thing, but again, trying to do that later on costs money. Um, so it's just one of those things that's what I always do. I think it works well. Um, so you learn a lot when you go through opening attractions and you have your little nuances that, that you bring to each new project. And that's just one thing that, that I always try to do uh, because I think it enhances the guest experience. So, you know, coaster seats and, and vehicles can be quite restrictive. Um, they're not always as forgiving. Um, so I think it's important to get that out front for the guests to, to see before they get into the line. So, yeah, Patrick, so and Pat, go ahead. Yeah. So, so instead of being out front, by do you do it like through, during the greeter position or kind of partway through the queue? What, 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 so, so it depends. Um, I I try to do it right after the greeter position, right? So you come into the line and you have to walk past it. It's in your face. You can't miss it. You know, I moved the Mako one from the plaza. It's actually probably 30 feet past the, uh, the greet position. So, and and you, and you walk right at it. So, so you can't miss it. And, you know, we want to be sensitive, right? Because it, it, it's, it's, um, when you're in a coaster station, if, if you're unable to, to be accommodated by the lap bar or the restraint system, it can be embarrassing, right? So I, I think this is an important way to get it out there for everyone to see without some child eating a turkey leg in the ride plaza mm-hmm. and using it as a bench. Yeah, I uh, um, <laughs> I had that experience on the Poltergeist coaster Six Flags over Texas. Uh, when I got into the into the coaster thing, you had, you had a bunch of teens trying to stuff me into the seat and get the restraint to click, and it just wasn't happening. And you know, it's like you, you're holding up the whole process, and everybody's in the train waiting for you. Everybody's in a load looking at you, and it's uh, it's not a fun time. Yep. And you know, um, I, I think that uh, it's an excellent idea to move them move it a little bit further into a more intimate. S- setting so that like you're not on display as you try to jam yourself into this this seat and you know patrick and i are 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 tall and wide people (laughs) and it's i I can speak from experience that you know it's i think that's a a really smart move well well like you guys are i think the ones to ask this i mean like is there room in SeaWorld orlando for more coasters and more fun there's always room we just got to get creative (laughs) <laughs> no, there, there, there really is you know like to brian's point we are landlocked right there's there's the streets all around sea world and we have our aquatic water park across the way and discovery cove the other direction so expanding out really isn't an option um but reinventing our existing portfolio of attractions like i said at the beginning when you just when we redid the shark encounter, you, you can almost market it as a new attraction and it looks like a new attraction. So there's ways mm-hmm. to, to just kind of bring older areas up to date um, to, to our current standards and looks. Um, but there is more footprint in SeaWorld, um, certainly where we can redo an attraction, redesign it, start from scratch, um, or we can uh, take something out, an existing asset and put another one in, or there is footprint um in the park where we can add um, other attractions. Awesome. Well, that's good news. I think that's good news for SeaWorld fans. 
for sure. And coaster fans. I, and, we cannot confirm or deny, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if you see another coaster um, to, down the road. I would not be surprised, but I would be thrilled in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say it, it would be bigger news if you were to say there will never be another coaster at yeah. SeaWorld. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I, that is not happening. I can confirm that. It's good news for me. I'm always going to have stuff to build. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what, you know, you went through the whole dis- process, opening up the experience, and, you know, this is. Well, you had similar experience in the past. This was a new experience. You know, what were some lessons learned from Icebreaker um, during that process that you now have with you and your kind of your, your utility belt? Ryan? Sure. You know, it's uh, every one you do, you learn something different, you know, every time. So, you know, for this one being our first launch coaster, we learned a lot about launch coasters. Um, We learned a lot about, you know, making sure that we have proper um, sizing for maintenance and back of house areas, uh, the things that the guests don't see. You know, every one of our rides is taken apart and put back together yearly uh, for all the trains. We do our annuals with our maintenance team. So you need to make sure you account for proper space and proper coverage for all those sorts of things. Um, and as we get you know tight sites like we talked about, that can become a challenge sometimes. So really working through sort of those, you know, bits and pieces we've already had, you know, certainly lessons learned, talk with maintenance saying, okay, well, you know, we need another shed for part storage or we need, you know, another, you know, this, that, and it's those things you can more easily account for. And, um, you know, just trying to uh, learn what the utility challenges are and things like that. You know, this is a, our park's been around for a little while. So there's a lot of stuff in the ground. And when you learn how to deal with it, um, I think we found every last thing in the round when we build Icebreaker. So it's one of those things that uh, now we know as we get uh, elsewhere. Now we have proper drawings for this area and we know what we're going, what we're going to encounter as we you know, continue to explore and expand. And, and I, I will say, you know, it, it sounds funny, but this was one of the easiest attractions I, I've worked on. And just from the standpoint of time. Right. So so COVID kind of reset how we operated and just changed everything. And 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 we froze the project for a while. Right. So usually when you open an attraction, uh, you have marketing in your ear saying, "Okay, we're opening it February 18th. Uh, I need to release that date. I need to release that date. You know, media has to get out there. Um, You kind of want four to six weeks, usually um, at least of a runway to market a new attraction. And when you're going through a ride acceptance process, when you're going through the testing and the commissioning and marketing wants to get the date out there, things go wrong. Um, And it can be really, really tight turnaround and some creative ways of accepting a ride to make sure you're you're checking every single safety box and you're not skipping any steps, but still working with marketing to be able to release a date. So for this, it, it was, you know, you know, COVID is a very unfortunate situation, of course. I'm not, I'm not saying taking that lightly, but it allowed us to really take our time and execute the opening we wanted to. Um, so it, it, of all the attractions I've opened, this was, uh, it was the hurry up and wait. And it was, it was pretty easy from a timing standpoint. Yeah, I was starting to get the impression that this seemed like it all went pretty smoothly. It, you know, of course, everything has its hiccups, right? And sure. uh, there's no um, exception to that. But yeah, it, it did. It, it went really well, and um, the ride, knock on wood, is I'm a superstitious person, is operating really well, um, and it, it has become a fan favorite for sure. 
Fantastic. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> well, I have, I have a nice um, final question here. Um, what is your favorite guest experience or attraction or ride in the SeaWorld's Busch Gardens family? I'll start. Uh, I love Griffin, which is the floorless coaster, a dive coaster at Busch Gardens. Um, Rob, how about you? And then we'll finish with Andy. Yeah, you know it's it's hard to narrow them down, but I will say Griffin. Also, that was the first ride I opened as a manager um, with the company, so it has a special place in my heart. Um, But Griffin, I mean, just from the view, looking out at you know beautiful James River, you know the world's most beautiful theme park, and you're looking down it and you're hanging. It's Griffin is is absolutely incredible. So I, I will go with you, Patrick, on that one. Yeah, that's a tough right. one. You know, it's uh, Kumba at Bush Tampa has always been one of my favorites. That was one of my first large coasters when I was younger, and uh, it still has kind of that intensity and power to it. Uh, although that said, uh, Iron Guazi, our new uh, coaster there over at Bush mm-hmm. Gardens, is uh, something special, and it's uh, it's really you know an incredible attraction. One of my favorite coasters is an instant classic sort of thing. And um, I love that. And um, but I'll add one more. Mako is just you know, my right. you know old reliable. I can hear it outside my office every time the train goes down the hill, and I, I love it. And it's one of those rides that if I ever need to just calm down or chill out for a little while, that's the ride I go to. Well, and I must say, you invoked Kumba, and was there there was a, a a rumors out there, and then I believe there was a statement released. Are you able to clarify about the the that I know it's not your your home park or anything, but Rob, you look ready, fired up and ready to talk about Kumba. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always rumors out there, right? And, and don't believe everything you read online, as my mom would always say. Um, <laughs> Kumba is here, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. That's great. All right, great thing. I and I know you know what you you know you you get what I'm chatting about, so I, I appreciate yep. it, yep. Andy. Of all of the Busch Garden SeaWorld Parks experiences, what's your favorite attraction? Well, unfortunately, I haven't been to Busch Gardens Williamsburg, uh, which I hope to remedy in the near future. But uh, a Cheetah Hunt at Tampa is, I think, oh. one of my top 10 coasters, period. Uh, it's a fantastic ride. I love the way that it tells a story with the attraction itself. Like, with you know, you go up into the tree and then you... you dive down from the tree and i love the through the canyon through the old canyon there from the uh the uh uh, safari ride and uh i just i just was completely blown away by how how awesome of an experience that was i loved it loved it i i have to agree it's it's one heck of a ride and i will say you know not we all we all went through coasters we just talked coasters one of my absolute favorite rides that's not a coaster is Finnegan's Flyer in Williamsburg, a Scream and Swing, mm-hmm. which, of course, we just opened up Tidal Surge in um, Texas, the world's tallest Scream and Swing. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap, those things are incredible. Um, I mean, the force, when you start swinging, you, know, you, you think you're going to build up speed, like you get thrown backwards. It is, yeah. I, I, when I when I helped open that ride in, in Williamsburg, it was Wow. Like I would say is kind of a Griffin, Apollo, Verbolton, Finnegan's Flyer in that order for me. Mm. So I put well, it on Alpengeist and Loch Ness. I think it's just, it's so freaking cool. I haven't been able to bring myself to get on one of those giant screaming swings. <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> They're a little terrifying when you're looking straight down to the ground, but it, it's a blast. 
Yeah, yeah, that's not my bag. (laughs) (laughs) I must say we had an honorable mention for the Curse of Dark Castle, rest in peace, from one of our producers as a uh, great. You know that that was another ride I was involved in. Uh, It was it it really was it was fun being involved in that, Um, and it it was a great ride. And the air conditioning was also nice. But um, (laughs) I know there's I know there's rumors out there about that that attraction in the future and. Um, I, I think things will be looking promising there for sure. Oh, yeah! I definitely have to honorable mention the 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 Manta Q is one of my favorite coaster queues in the world. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, this the you know the beautiful aquariums there, and uh, it's just it's just a beautiful experience. And you know, I love being fully surrounded by a sculpted environment as well. <laughs> Manta kind of hits the whole package for me. It's a yeah. great coaster. It's a fantastic queue. We have a great animal habitat, and there's a non-rider experience as well for the folks who don't want to ride. They can walk through mm-hmm. the habitat as well. There's unique you know, pop-ups in the aquarium section. It's got great theming. It has that really iconic wing development that uh, you know we, you see in all of our advertisements. I mean, it's, it's the total package kind of attraction, and um, you know, it's it's a great kind of first encounter as you walk into our park. And I'll never forget. Just oh, received a new paint job. Oh know, wow! So, so Manta and Kraken both got new paint, and and they both look fantastic. I have to say, the first time I rode it was really special. It was at the IAPA celebrates party. Um, I don't know how eight, eight, seven or eight years ago, and uh, the first time I rode it. Uh, there were fireworks going off from the the, yeah. the the pyro show, so I was on Manta's with fireworks going off around us, and it was it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> it's 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 a awesome awesome ride. Yeah. Well, I got I got to say it's great to catch up, Brian. Of course, and Rob, nice to meet you. I don't think we met before before this, no. um, but it, maybe we can meet at Shark Bar one of these days and get a nice. I live in Orlando, so we can get a nice uh, cooled off beverage. Um, this is fantastic. Um, congratulations on opening. You know, we know it's been a crazy couple of years with COVID and opening up your attraction to, uh, you know, um, well-received by the industry really is fantastic. And hitting that sweet spot, um, like you said, um, you know, you kind of like laser target exactly where what kind of attraction you want. And just congratulations overall. And it's great to have you guys on the network. And we'd love to have you guys back whenever you want to talk about your future endeavors. Yeah, no, ha- happy Absolutely. to. Thanks for having us. And yeah, I'm always down for a, a beverage at Sharks Bar. And by all means, please say hi when you're in the park. And, and Andy, when, you, when you're out this way, we, we, we'd love to host you guys. Thank you so Absolutely. much. I look forward to cool. it very much. All right. That's the end of our show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, Rob and Brian, you can hang out in the green room. <laughs> um, we have That's a couple great. of great shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Like, subscribe, email list, all that kind of stuff. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you.